1: kick is live it is thursday night i've been backwards all week on my days thursday night december 8th the year of our Lord, 2022 you know if the people responsible for college football's calendar were responsible for building a treehouse i firmly believe they'd run out of forest before they got the job done december's a mess train wreck right now we got to try and fix december tonight we're jam-packed high atop a still saturated downtown nashville tennessee and we will indeed dive into a lot of this tonight the transfer portal still ablaze I would argue December shouldn't, likely, it shouldn't look like it does, period, just calendar-wise, but it does. So we're going to talk about that. I keep getting feedback. I don't think, Jesse and Colin, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've ever gotten as much feedback per capita on a segment as we have about Deion Sanders. I don't think we've had a single bold or hot take on this, but if you keep pressing me on it, I will tell you what's about to happen with him. And uh, so a warning, a subtle but stern warning on tonight's show. Speaking of which, we don't have to wait all that long to see what could be Ryan Day's biggest game thus far as Ohio State head coach. Uh, That's also not meant to be a hot take. I really, really believe there is some inordinate pressure on the shoulders of one Ryan Day when they play Georgia less than a month from now. And part two of what will be an ongoing series of Bold Predictions Revisited, Uh, I didn't announce that we were going to do that the other night. So we're, you know, we're dusting off the bold predictions from the preseason. What I think's going to happen is our traffic on those videos is going to substantially increase the more we get into it. They're watching us in Roanoke, Virginia, Buenos Aires, we can't roll the the tongue where I'm from. So Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, McCarley, Mississippi, and Tampa, Florida all tuned in. The collaboration late kick episode or episodes could be multiple are coming up. I don't have a date for you yet. I know it. I can't tell you yet, but just just stay tuned. I I tell you guys all the time, I'm going to reiterate it once more before we dive into the show here. December, for many reasons, is a month you have to stay locked in. You can't afford to be taking vacations or breaks, okay? If you need to tune out, that's what God made March for. You need to be checked in right now. Let's dive in. Transfer portal, still on fire. Day, it feels like 98, but in reality, we're only a few days in to this transfer portal window being open. I'm giving you names. I'm giving you the best intel that we have. Keep in mind, as we get further into the window, there will be more and more intel about where guys are going to transfer to. Right now, we're just finding out who's going in and who may not be going in. For example, Drake May, there was a lot of speculation about the North Carolina quarterback. Well, he, he tweeted out to the world last night, I'm not going anywhere. That's good. Thank you, Drake. That's, that's helpful to us. So we don't have to waste time speculating about that. But there are names entering the portal by the hour. We just had a five-star name in the past thirty or forty minutes. I'll get to him in a second. In the meantime, let's talk about Chris Marshall, wide receiver there, former five-star wide receiver at Texas A&M. He was a five-star in that 2021 class. I think I said Tanmizi Adelaide was in the 2021 class on the last show. He was actually in the class before, well, I guess two classes ago, if you want to classify it that way. But Chris Marshall wasn't. Chris Marshall just on campus had 11 receptions, 108 yards, played in three games. So he had two things happen to him this year. He had a little bit of an injury issue, then he had a little bit of a suspension issue, and so you didn't get to see him a whole lot. There is still no doubt in virtually anyone's mind I've spoken to about his skill set. Really good player, 6'3", 205, so he's got the size, he's got the classic combination that normally you would find in these five-star receivers. This is 19 players, at least as of yesterday. I I did not get an up-to-date count today. 19 Texas A&M players in the portal just in the last two weeks. Now, is that a disaster? No. I think you could argue they'll be better off without certain guys. Not Marshall, but just in general, certain guys. Uh, The phrase addition by subtraction exists for a reason. However, I don't think anyone around here is foolish enough to say, you know what A&M needs to do? Lose 19 really talented guys. So. There is also the healthy balance of news. For instance, they got a commitment from the number one running back in the country. So there is a lot of churn going on at Texas A&M. But Chris Marshall, if he does indeed transfer somewhere, is probably going to be a a really big skill pickup. And then we'll find out what he's made of from the neck up. Let's continue. Uh, Desan McCullough, edge player from Indiana. You need to know about him. A lot of folks covet him. He was the number one signee in their signing class this past cycle. He had 48 tackles and four sacks this year. You see the bio if you're watching on YouTube right now. He was honorable mention for the All-Big Ten team. He played in 11 games this year, so he contributed right away. He's the number nine overall player in the 24-7 Sports Transfer Portal rankings, a tool I would highly encourage you to be checking. And I mean check it multiple times a day. Coaching staffs do. So if they're doing it, if it's good enough for them, it should be good enough for you right there on the homepage. Uh, make it Make it a tool that you use this time of year, about as much as that class calculator, because it's very valuable. You're looking at the number one edge player in the portal right now. That's a position that's premium. Everyone's looking for added depth there. Some teams are looking for frontline edge players. That's one of them. So Dasan McCullough, I don't think it was a great big shock that he went in. He's going to be coveted. And Oklahoma, There's a lot of smoke around Oklahoma right now. I think we had four crystal ball predictions for Oklahoma just in the last 24 hours. Keep an eye on that. Could be trending towards Brent Venables and company. What about the wide receiver position? Let's go right back there. Dorian Singer is in the transfer portal. The further west you get in this great country of ours, the more likely people are to recognize that name. He led the Pac 12 in receiving yards this year. The whole conference. They throw the ball quite a bit out there. Over 1,100 yards receiving. There were 26 receivers in the country this year that had over 1,000 yards, and he was one of them. And he's in the portal, Uh, 16.7 yards per catch indicates probably really good yards after catch potential, probably really good speed, and we have verified that. He absolutely does have that. 6'1", 185. You're watching some of the footage here. If you're listening on podcast, just picture a guy catching a ball a whole lot out there. For an Arizona team that even though they may not be on the national radar yet, did exceed expectation this year. He's played two seasons. He's got a bunch of offers. Oregon's in this, Penn State, Oklahoma, Miami, Colorado, Arkansas. And he's the fourth-ranked wide receiver, I believe, in the portal right now. That's changing by the hour. So Dorian Singer, that's another name. Keep an eye on him. I know every single one of you need wide receiver help just about. Do you need quarterback help, though? Do you need, what if if I told you that I had over here an experienced four-year starter? for a major Power Five program. He's thrown for at least 2,000 yards every season. He's been a starter all four years. You would say, huh, oh, who is this? I'm ready to shell out that NIL dough for this guy. It's Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. That's who that is. Did you just say, oh. Because everyone's pretty much cast their mold on what they think of Spencer Sanders. He has been a very steady hand out there. Been a really good player. There is going to be a robust market for a player like that. As you can imagine, proven consistency on the Power 5 level, proven winning consistency, it's hard to come by. I don't care how many thousands of names go in the portal, at the most important position, you don't really have a whole lot of that, guys. So a lot of programs are going to covet him. I was doing a radio hit the other day and someone asked, what kind of dollar figure do you think he could command on the NIL market? I don't pretend to know how that stuff works. I don't pretend to even know how the market works. Some parts of me think some of the NIL market is artificial in nature right now, and and it'll kind of stabilize over the course of the next two or three years, but whatever. We're in the here and now. I I think Spencer Sanders is going to do quite well for himself, and I've got any of a number of programs that I'm interested in watching him potentially entertain offers from. Uh, Auburn's one of them, for example. I heard Tom Lugenbill mention them the other day, and He kind of took the words right out of my mouth because we know good and well Hugh Freeze has got to go find him one, right? Unless, unless Hugh Freeze has watched Robbie Ashford and said he'd shine in my program. I happen to think Robbie Ashford would be pretty good in Hugh Freeze's offense, but that doesn't mean you turn down proven quarterback depth and experience if you can find it. What about DJ Uyangalaleh? And I got a a special little pink post-it here for a recently added name. But first, DJ Uyangalaleh, Quarterback from Clemson, obviously, he's in the transfer portal. There's a special caveat, or there could be a special carve-out and a caveat here with DJ, because he has got a brother who is in the upcoming recruiting class, uh, Mateo Uyangalele, and he's good. He's 6'5", 265. He's the number 10 overall player in the country. He's an edge rusher. He's not a quarterback. (laughs) Pretty much the same body type as his brother, but he's an edge rusher. And if you look at the schools involved with young Mateo there, you see a lot of West Coast. You you also see Ohio State. So Oregon, USC, Ohio State. Now here's the thinking, which is pretty easy to see coming. A lot of folks are wondering behind the scenes, is there a package deal aspect to DJ and Mateo? Uh, Wouldn't shock me. I don't have firsthand knowledge of that, but it could just so happen that Let's see what Bo Nix does at Oregon, for example. If Bo Nix were to leave Oregon, all of a sudden they've got a, a wide open slot at quarterback. Maybe DJ lands there. I don't know how that's going to shake out. I'm saying we don't know how this picture is going to unfold. You got guys who still need to make draft decisions. You got guys who themselves could go in the portal. So that's why I keep telling you the first few days here, it's not, a, it's not about decisions yet. It's about decisions to go in the portal. Um, the, the big fireworks are still down the road, when guys start making decisions on where they're gonna land, that's the, that's the real fireworks show. In the last hour, Keyshawn Silver has entered his name into the transfer portal, or at least he's announced he is. I don't have the portal pulled up and, and hit an F5 refresh every two minutes, but that's a five-star defensive lineman, formerly five-star defensive lineman, Keyshawn Silver from North Carolina. That makes 12. If he's going in and he says he is, that makes 12. North Carolina Tar Heels, not Drake May. Ironically, the quarterback, that's who everyone's talking about. Seems like a bunch of that defense though has hopped in the portal. And Keyshawn Silver, that's gonna be a name. I don't know where we're ranking him yet. I have not even seen the, the transfer portal ranking update. I don't know if they've done it yet. If not, they will soon. But Keyshawn Silver is gonna rock it right up near the top of those transfer portal rankings. who it's imperative. Keep an eye on this thing. It's imperative, and I told you the other night, and I'll tell you because once I said it on the show the other night, I had a bunch more staff members hit me up. Staffs knew this was coming. They don't like it. Nine-tenths of them don't like it, but they knew it was coming, but they're unprepared in many cases. They're unprepared for it, and if you've ever dealt with hiring and you've ever dealt with trying to get new employees in, I don't care where you work, many of you watching or listening, you know the struggle, where there's a glaring need, and you and your common sense sit there and say, well, we've got a need here, we should go hire someone to fill this need. But, you see, here's the thing about bureaucracy. A lot of people rely on muddying up common sense in order to have jobs. You may call that government but also, we would just call that bureaucracy. It exists outside of government, it exists outside of Congress, it exists inside the walls of maybe your very place of employment, and it also exists inside the walls of major universities, bastions of academia around this country that just so happen to have a football appendage loosely attached to it. And so, imagine this conversation, where the head coach, uh, the director of player personnel, hoopstever, hoopstever it may be, they're going to the administration, And they're saying, we need a new department, not just an employee. We need a new department of employees. Uh, It's called a college scouting department. (laughs) Because we kind of need to be able to do scouting work on current college players. Don't you already scout players out of high school? Yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. But that's different. We still need to do that and scout the college players. And as you can imagine, we don't know which ones we need to scout. So we kind of need to have a loose working scouting report on all of them. And we don't play all these teams. Otherwise, we'd do it ourselves as coaches, but we don't play all these teams. What do you think? Well, I'm going to have to take it before the board. I'll have you an answer in 12 to 18 months. Uh, Sir, the portal opens in 48 hours. Does it? What are you guys going to do? It's like your hands are tied. So that's what a lot of programs are dealing with right now. And um, all you can do is pray. All you can do is pray at this point. Um, Academy Sports and Outdoors, here's my ad read tonight. It's just a blank sheet of paper. Academy Sports and Outdoors, as the the days tick off, we're getting closer to early signing day. We're getting closer to bowl games and the playoff. We're getting closer. uh, By my calculations, Christmas morning, now just 17 days, really like 16 days and change away. Are you ready? To quote the road dog Jesse James from back in the day. Are you ready? I don't think you are. But they can help Academy Sports and Outdoors can help, and I, I, you, you, I know you guys get nervous. I do this. I mean, I'm living proof that this happens in mass. You keep putting it off, and keep putting it off, and keep putting it off. But what you don't know is there's one place you can go and knock off like ninety percent of your wish list, and your parents' wish list, and your cousin's wish list. Just get all your Christmas shopping done at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And look, I'm not saying you may, you may not have one or two things left over. But one or two things is greater than one or two hundred things. I know how deep some of you roll. And so Academy Sports and Outdoors is the place to go. But look, just to add a little bonus here, academy.com is just as good. Certainly you don't get to go in and experience things. You don't get to take a picture of yourself and tweet it at me and get retweeted because you actually visited our presenting partner, Academy Sports and Outdoors in person, but you still get all the gear. So academy.com or Academy Sports and Outdoors in person just just stop there. You, watch and see what I tell you. Watch how big the chunk of your list is that gets shaved off once you walk out of that place. They got so much more than you think they have. And you probably already think they have a lot because I tell you all the time. I appreciate you guys being tuned in live, by the way. My feed froze over here, so I had to refresh it. And now I have to watch an ad. Shame on us. Shame on us. Okay, as you'll notice in the chalice tonight, I, I got the hard stuff tonight. This is just straight espresso. I didn't, even, I didn't even put it in coffee. The first time Bud Elliott ever came up here, quick story, I was totally ignorant to coffee and I'm still very much a novice, but I didn't know anything about coffee. Had no clue. I was not a coffee drinker at all. But I realized if I was gonna work 20 hours a day, I probably needed some help. And so I go to the coffee machine and they just showed me where it was and then they left me there. So, I I say espresso. I don't know, that sounds like a good drink. So I started drinking espresso. But the thing about it is, when you press the espresso button, it only does this. This is two shots right here. It only fills it up like that much. So I figured, that's not a lot of coffee. So I just kept on hitting the espresso button until it filled up the glass. Well, I was ingesting like a combined five or 600 milligrams of caffeine, because each one of those shots I think is 90 milligrams or something like that. That was my introduction to the wonderful world of coffee. Uh, This is just two shots of it, but we got to have it because we got a trip tomorrow and we got, we had a long day behind us, but we're blessed to be here indeed.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: So let's roll on, because you probably don't care about any of that. But you do care about this. Deion Sanders is going to win at Colorado. It's going to happen pretty quickly, and it's going to shock a lot of you. Now look, either, either you believe what you're telling me or you don't, and I'm kind of speaking condescendingly, but not to all of you, when I am saying you, speaking to a group of people out there who always love to tell me this is a talent acquisition business, that's what this game's all about, acquiring talent, like, like you figured out something the rest of us didn't already know. We get it, what P-Paul was telling us a long time ago, it's not so much the X's and O's, buddy, it's the Jimmy's and Joe's, we, we've known that for a long time, okay? Having said that, do you believe Peepaw? Do you believe what he told? Meemaw's taking a break tonight. Do you believe what Peepaw told you? Because if this is a talent acquisition business, do you doubt Deion Sanders is going to get talent? No, you you can't doubt that. You must just be willfully ignorant if you doubt that. So you got to be doubting something else about him. What are you doubting? Convention. That's what you're doubting. You just don't think he can execute at the Power 5 level. You really think he's a lot more showman than tactician, and you don't think that combination is going to translate. Did I just describe some of you? Certainly I did. Are you free to have that opinion? Sure. You've been right, and I've been wrong plenty of times on this show, and it'll happen again. I just don't think it's going to happen here. But to go back to the talent acquisition aspect of all this, do you realize they just upgraded here? I don't mean in terms of just an overall head coach and the stature and name recognition. I don't mean it like that. I mean, Jesse walks into my office today, and he says, guess what? I said, hit me with it, Jesse. He said, um, Jackson State, Dion just comes from Jackson State, Jackson State signed seven four- and five-star rated players over the last two cycles. That's seven more than Colorado did because Colorado hadn't had a four or five-star rated player, period, last two cycles. He had a more talented recruiting class at Jackson State than Colorado did. Just heads up. We don't have to add in any, any caveats or any special filters or parameters. He, he flat out out-recruited a Pac-12 school at Jackson State. That wasn't the only Power 5 school he out-recruited, by the way. So now he comes there. He's going from an HBCU program to a Pac-12 program, a Pac-12 program, by the way, at the Power 5 level, who obviously are getting pretty serious about investing and taking recruiting seriously. But if you don't believe he'll have problems getting the players, you just think it won't matter. They'll be a really talented team that's still mediocre because he won't succeed as a coach. Well, that's where I want to talk to you a little bit tonight. Because I think there are a lot of people who feel that way. And uh, you're fair to I get why you feel that way. He's so unconventional. Deion Sanders, so unconventional. Hey, let me ask you something about college football. What part of this sport is conventional right now? UCLA is about to play in the Big Ten. We're about to have 12 teams in the playoff. I could get three hundred grand to go play for Nebraska if someone's willing to pay it to me. I could go play for four different schools in four years if I want to. What is conventional about college football right now? And after you say the word nothing, then I want to bring you back to Deion Sanders. Why wouldn't you go unconventional in your hire? Especially at the University of Colorado, going conventional gets you trucked. Going conventional gets you 1 in 11. Why would you be anything other than unconventional there? Then once you say, well, we shouldn't be. You're right, maybe we should be unconventional. Then you realize why they hired him, and then you have to ask yourself this. How good could Colorado be? Anything's an upgrade. They won one game last year. Anything's an upgrade. I, I firmly believe this, guys, and I have a little bit of a cheat sheet because I got access to folks who know who all's reaching out to Colorado right now. They are going to stun you with the roster they put together. It will surprise a lot of people. I know everyone who watches this show or listens to this show, you're a diehard college football fan, so you know the entire timeline. He went to Jackson State, and you remember vividly early signing day last year with Travis Hunter. He did the interview with Barstool a little bit before that. You remember all that, okay? You've got a shot-by-shot recollection of the timeline for Deion Sanders. Casual fans don't. Casual fans know he was at that HBCU school in Mississippi. He played for Florida State. He played for the Falcons and the Niners. I remember him in the NFL. I know that he's in the Aflac commercials. This is a casual talking. This is like a Halloween mask for me. This is tough for me to do. And what else does a casual know? They know that Colorado just hired him. That's it. That's all. And then a casual checks out and they go sip a daiquiri somewhere. So here's what's going to happen. The casuals are going to check back in and they're going to find out that Deion Sanders has accumulated more four-star or higher rated talent on Colorado's roster in one cycle than they have the past two decades combined, because that's real. Like, I think that's going to happen. It's going to happen really quickly because of how, your word, not mine, unconventional college football is now. You can do these sorts of things. I got surprisingly little pushback to the segment we did the other night. And Jesse knows, because I told him beforehand, boy, this is going to aggravate some folks. If it did, you didn't speak up. Because there was an overwhelming acceptance that what I said the other night was reality. And what I said was the way he's dealing with those players out there right now, it's tough, but it's reality. It doesn't even have to be fair, it's just real. It's the same way as any other adult gets treated in any other place of business. I had some of you say, Are you saying it's fair for you to get fired for no reason? It doesn't have to be fair to you, it's reality. When you draw a paycheck, you know, when you get those benefits of being an adult, there's sometimes consequences. Out of your control, by the way. I mean, there's, there's a, probably a kid that's playing offensive guard, just minding his own business, holding down a, a three spot on the depth chart at Colorado that will not have a spot this spring. It's not his fault. It just is what it is. And so, you know, Deion's going to come in there and overhaul that roster really, really quickly. I, I venture to guess the percentage of that roster that's going to be overhauled is going to blow some people's minds and the caliber player they get out there is going to blow some people's minds. I was listening to Joel Klatt the other day. I think he had Bruce Feldman on, and uh, Feldman made a really good point. He said, I think there are going to be some guys who don't even consider Colorado in their top three or four, coming out of high school. Just typical recruits that don't even consider Colorado in their top three or four, but they want to meet Dion, And so they schedule an official visit to Colorado. He'll land some of those kids. If you've ever been around him, I've been around him. It's crazy. And I'm around head coaches all the time. Like I'm around people we would consider celebrity flex. I'm around people we would consider celebrities a lot. He's a celebrity amongst celebrities. Celebrities talk about Deion Sanders, like head coaches talk about Deion Sanders. So the point is the talent's going to be there. And if you believe it's a talent acquisition business, but you don't believe he's going to win, then you think he's going to fail for reasons other than talent. And I'm telling you that you must just feel he's unconventional and can't get the job done. And that's where we disagree. So my challenge is give me two years. I'm not making promises for the 2023 season. Although, who knows? He may even surpass my expectations. The 2024 college football season, at minimum, that team's bowling, at at the very minimum, and could be in the eight or nine win range. Is that impossible? By any other metric, in any other time in the history of this sport, yes, it probably is. But have you paid attention to Kansas, for example? Uh, Have you paid attention? I mean, Vanderbilt. Clark Lee almost took Vanderbilt bowling this year. And they're going about things at Kansas and Vanderbilt, respectively, far more conventionally than Deion Sanders will ever think about going about things in Boulder, Colorado. You don't think he can get them in the eight or nine win range? Just taking a bunch of four and five star kids, you can call them mercenaries, you can call it whatever you want to, he's not going to force anyone to play out there. So you're going to see a lot of folks choose to play out there. Here's my bigger question. This is where you want to hit the mute button in Colorado. My bigger question isn't if he's going to win. My bigger question is, how long is he going to stay out there because of how he's about to win? Because I firmly believe, and I've had one of them confirm it to me, I firmly believe There were some ADs that wanted to hire him this last cycle. There were some ADs at some surprisingly big-time institutions that I think wanted to pull the trigger on Deion Sanders this time around, and they did not have the support internally that they needed. When he does what he's about to do at Colorado, all of those concerns will be alleviated. The proof of performance, the proof of product will be there. And come 2024, 25 probably, If he so chooses, I don't know where his heart and mind's at. If he so chooses, the offers are going to be there. And I also want to ask you this. We're obviously getting way ahead of ourselves, but I feel pretty confident in this. If that's where we go, what does it do for the mold that you look for in a head coach in the future? Like There are change agents. There are inflection points. In any walk of life, if you just observe it long enough, college football coaching, no different. And you could be looking at one here, because the way that you feel, the things you look for, the critical factors and traits you look for in a head coach could be about to change. And I would also suggest to you this, I'm a believer there are two approaches that are rapidly approaching in this sport that don't necessarily get utilized right now. Most people go cookie cutter. When they're trying to hire, they just try and hire the best version of what the classical college football coach is. Colorado obviously deviated from that path. I think you could have path one, and that is go hire a superstar name like Deion Sanders, and then give him a big enough salary pool where he puts together a dynamite coaching staff, which he's in the process of doing right now, and then let him be the figurehead and let them do the dirty work. That's one approach. Here's the other approach. Kind of unrelated to Dion, but it's unconventional since we're talking about unconventional here. Someone's going to try a money ball approach to college football coaching. Someone is going to figure out in the modern transfer portal NIL world, you don't have to hire coaches in the same mold that you once did. You, up until this point and prior years, had to have certain amounts of X's and O's boxes checked, certain amounts of recruiting prowess boxes checked, and especially the latter mattered a lot, someone's going to go and pay a head coach that you've never heard of, like three and a half or four million dollars at a major program. And he's going to be way under the pay scale of his peers because you've never heard of him. And they're going to put together a staff, maybe of conventional hires, maybe of unconventional hires, but they are going to have measured The benefit of being able to just go buy your talent roster. And they're not going to value recruiting prowess quite to the degree you ever would have before. And they're going to probably cut corners financially, saving money on a staff. And they're going to invest those millions into NIL. And they're going to construct the team for the coaching staff. This is where we're headed, by the way, if you don't get control of NIL. And that will be the money ball approach in college football. Not quite what Billy Bean did out in Oakland once upon a time, but that will be the approach. Who's going to try that? I don't think the University of Alabama is ever going to try that. I think there are some mid to lower tier Power 5 programs that absolutely could be ready to try that. It's just someone's got to be first. Someone's got to be first. Um, What what did you say to me, Colin? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so Colin just reminded me of something. Colin, when you edit this, please cut the last 10 seconds out. Okay. You want to talk about change, by the way. You want to talk about impact. So, Brandon Marcello's out at some conference out west, and George Klykoff was speaking at it, the Pac-12 commissioner. I want you to think about how big this is. So, the Pac-12 has been negotiating a new media rights deal. Hasn't happened yet. There's a little bit of a delay, a little bit of a snag. And Marcello quotes George Klykoff from this conference. He said, well, we knew some other information was coming, including the announcement of Coach Prime. Why would we do a media deal before that? He absolutely adds value to the league. Stop for just a second. So we're talking about nine-figure numbers here. We're talking about major, multi-year media rights deals. Even the Pac-12 deal is going to fish that kind, of, that kind of revenue over the long haul. You're talking about one person, one head coach. He will never play a down. One head coach that adds so much to what, at the end of the day, is an entertainment-based product that they just put their negotiations on hold until he got out there. And he's not even at Southern Cal. He's not at Oregon. He's not at one of the what would be called the premier brands currently out there, I guess Southern Cal for about five more minutes till they go to the Big Ten. Deion Sanders put the media negotiations on hold out there. That's how big that hire was. I know a lot of you are getting sick of hearing that name. Uh, That's cool. I'm just saying we see the numbers. Most of you aren't sick of it. Most of you have very strong opinions on it. I got a strong opinion here as we move on. It's about on play or on field play and it's about something that's coming up very soon. Take a little sip here running out pretty quickly. What do you think about Ryan Day as a head coach? I happen to think extremely highly of him. But I know some people are down on him right now cuz he just lost again to Michigan, but they're in the playoff. So there's that. Ohio State's about to play Georgia, and they're going to play in the Peach Bowl. That's the game we're going to be at, by the way. That's a very subdued announcement. We're going to the New Year's Eve Peach Bowl primetime kickoff there in Atlanta. And it's a big game. And right now, the odds in that game, I think at last check, Georgia's favored by six and a half or seven. It's around a touchdown either way. So what happens if Ohio State loses by double digits? I just want to toss that out there. Because this is a reason to celebrate. If you're an Ohio State fan, you're in the playoff. Hey, that's all you can ask for, especially given where you were just 14 days ago. It's all you can ask for, right? So you're valid in your celebration. That's the plus side. Here's the downside. Not to be negative Nancy here, but if you lose again by double digits, did you celebrate just to get tossed in the wood chipper again for the fourth time in the past four big games? And that is really where I think the pressure starts to ramp up exponentially on Ryan Day. And I know Ohio State fans know this. I don't know if you're a a Washington fan, if you're a a Texas State fan, if you just kind of observe this program from a distance. I don't think people are aware. Of how hot it is around Ryan Day. Not hot seat. I don't mean it that way, although a lot of you do. I don't ascribe to that whatsoever. Foolishness. They could lose 100 to nothing to Georgia. Ryan Day's not getting fired. There are two kinds of pressure in coaching. There are, well, there are two kinds, and not hot seats. Okay, I'm gonna take the word hot seat or the words hot seat and I'm gonna remove it. To me, there have always been two kinds of pressure in the head coaching world one is competitive pressure. And the other is hot seat pressure. Hot seat pressure is when your job's on the line, win this game, or you're gonna be fired. Win nine games this year, you're gonna be fired. We all know that drill. But there's also competitive pressure. Competitive pressure is what Kirby Smart faced last year. He wasn't getting fired if he didn't beat Bama in the title game. But if he started 0-5 against Nick Saban in his career, that's the kind of competitive pressure that eats at you, that will not let you sleep at night. Ryan Day's got immense competitive pressure on him. He would sit here and tell you, I've always got that on me. And he's right. I'm sure he puts more of it on himself than you you ever can. But outside forces sometimes have an effect on your employment status, your quality of life. That's the way it is. It's It's an ugly business sometimes. There's a lot of competitive pressure on Ryan Day to win this thing. I'm not talking about covering. I'm talking about beating Georgia. Because if you think back over the last four years, No one's talking about the fact that he's won two Big Ten championships. No one's talking about the fact that he's undefeated in his career against Penn State. No one. You know what they're talking about right now? They're talking about the Bama game in 2020, double-digit loss. Michigan 2021, double-digit loss. Michigan a couple of weeks ago, double-digit loss. If they lose, let's say by double digits to Georgia, at, at Ohio State, they don't think the way you would maybe at Ole Miss. They don't think that way because they look at their schedule every year, and they know how disproportionately more talented they are than everyone. So they have learned. It doesn't matter if we score a million against Rutgers. It doesn't matter what we do against Indiana. We should handle Maryland. Every year, we're Ohio State. We should. And because we're so physically superior to all the teams we play in our conference outside of a couple, here's what the season comes down to. Three boxes, and the goal is to check them all you got to beat Michigan, you got to win the Big Ten, got to win the national title. Now, you don't have to do all three of those every year, but that is the, the gauge with which they measure success at Ohio State. An outsider looks at Ohio State going into the game against Michigan 11-0 a couple weeks ago and say, even if they lose this game, like, what a phenomenal season. No one's saying that, Columbus, Ohio. They're, they're not saying it because it is, it is a mild, it's a Grand Canyons difference in outcomes whether you win that game or lose that game. Because how were you not going to win every other game? If they had been upset at any other point this year, it would have been because of crippling inadequacy on their end. That's how they feel about it. They're right about that. And so they lose that Michigan game. I was up there. I've never, ever, no matter the size of the stadium, experienced a more surreal and somber atmosphere. You picture 100,000 folks in the horseshoe You would think they'd be irate. They lost to Michigan again, but the way the game unfolded, and they got cattle prodded in the neck a couple of times so quick with those explosive plays in the second half when they really Michigan just put it out of reach. Those folks just slumped their shoulders, and they put their head to the ground, and they just kicked their can down the tunnel, out to the parking lot, and went home. It was so quiet, crazy quiet. Normally, it is an angry, angry atmosphere when the home team has lost. And Ohio State wasn't that way that day. So, I mean, you can't help but have that permeate some of your team, some of your program. They they took it every bit as hard, they took it harder inside the program than they did the fan base, but now they get another shot. It's a fine line. At a place like Ohio State, you really got to be there to understand it because of the nature of their surroundings. It's such a fine line. You can go 8-0, 10-0, 11-0 but if you don't win that Michigan game given the state of the Big Ten like it would be one thing if the Big Ten was full of powerhouses they would be able to appreciate 11 and 0 and then going 11 and 1 a whole lot more than they do right now but your your conference's weakness around you relative to you actually hampers you because you don't you don't get credit really you don't get credit for beating them the way you probably normally should so i want you to fast forward now it's one thing to say it it's another thing to actually see it happen Sometimes you have to see it to realize, just like this Ohio State-Michigan game. We did a segment going into that week. Do you know what's going to happen if they lose? Remember that? We were out in College Station, I think. We were at the TechSag studio doing the show, and I was talking about the game, and I said, Ohio State's favored, and most people expect them to win. You have not run the scenario in your head. You haven't allowed yourself to contemplate what it's going to be like if they lose and lose big. Cause statistically that was the least probable outcome. They lost, and they lost big. And I told you what was gonna to happen to Ryan Day. Well, all of a sudden it started happening to him. And people were stunned. Like, are they seriously questioning this guy's this guy's job security? Are they really doing it? They sure are. They sure were. Are they seriously throwing out the name John Cooper? They sure are. They sure were. It's present tense, by the way. It hadn't stopped. Now they're ready. They're ready to gird their loins and head to Atlanta and take on the mighty Georgia Bulldogs. They're certainly ready. But it's always in the back of your mind now. Once you've dropped the ball by double digits four consecutive times in these big moments, it's in the back of every Buckeye's mind, from Mansfield to Akron to everywhere in between. What if this happens? You know, what if we get run out of this building? You're playing the wrong team. If you're not ready to physically bring it, you're playing the wrong. You are playing the worst possible team you could find in this country. If you're not ready to physically bring it, if you can't match up better, which I happen to think they did a pretty decent job of against Michigan. Like, there's this narrative out there they just got put on skates again. They didn't. They didn't. They gave up. It feels like 35 points in about five plays. I think that's actually true. Uh, they they held their own at the line of scrimmage a lot better than last year. You, um, you got it to do in Atlanta. You got it to do. All right, let's go to what is already my favorite segment of December and soon to be yours, especially depending on whether you got your predictions right or wrong. Uh, Colin, here's your end point. Back in August, I took all the bold predictions and I just said, give me predictions you would bet your money on. And then I put a rating, one to 10. How bold were they? This is really fun. Let's dive in. First prediction here, we're headed to Notre Dame. Boy, this one looked like it was off to a rocky and inauspicious start. Joseph said Marcus Freeman is gonna go eight and four in his first year, but they're gonna land a top five recruiting class. So this was like a double decker prediction. Joseph, and his Twitter handle is at BanfallWeddings, by the way. Joseph may go two for two here. He nailed the record exactly. Notre Dame goes eight and four. Ding. Right now they've got the number three class in America. Ding ding. So Joseph, I mean, hats off to you, my friend. Now it looked like you were headed towards just utter oblivion with this prediction early on. Because remember, they lost to Ohio State, they lost to Marshall. Uh, they started off 3-3. Three and three, And then they had that win against Clemson that was part of a 1-2-3-4-5-game winning streak, I think, or six-game winning streak. And it was it was all turned around from there. Five-game winning streak. Uh, but man, it looked for a while like they were gonna struggle to make a bowl game. They ended up going eight and four. So Joseph, man, hats off. This was a bold prediction, two-parter that I think he's gonna go two for two on. Notre Dame has to close on this recruiting class, but they're number three right now. So they're either gonna flirt with the top five class or land a top five class. Next up, this one did not fare nearly as well. Hide the women and children for this one. Austin said, a and and Alabama will both make the playoffs. <clears throat> I'm going to give a little minor buzzer for Alabama. They did finish fifth, at least. a uh, and finished multiple games from even being bowl eligible. It was the most disastrous season for any major program in America this year. Once upon a time, though, I had Jesse go dust off the old preseason odds. Just to show you, even Vegas doesn't know everything. Alabama opened the season with the best odds to win the national championship. They were plus 180. Then you had Ohio State. Georgia, Clemson, USC, all those teams were in the mix this year. Texas A&M, if you were to just align this in forms of ranking, a and was the sixth highest odds to win the title preseason. The national title, friends. They had the sixth best odds to win the national title in the preseason. Um, so, n- not to just make fun of everyone who believed in a and because I had them ranked top 10 preseason too, I think. But boy. That just shows you how much a preseason odds maker or preseason power ratings numbers are based on talent. And if you don't do things with that talent, this is what happens. You end up five and seven and everyone who believed in you gets mocked, including me mocking myself, you idiot. Next up, Michigan. Uh, this This one's still up in the air, but it needs some help. Ben said, Michigan is gonna end the 2023 recruiting class with a top 10 finish. Jesse believes this is outside the realm of possibility. I'm not quite as bleak. I'm going to say still it's a nine. I gave this a nine. I still believe it's a nine. Right now, Michigan has the 20th ranked recruiting class. This is the old-fashioned go-get-high-school-players form of recruiting. We're not talking about the transfer portal. I think Harbaugh was at Central of Phoenix City, if I saw correctly today on the Internet, by the way. And look. Some of the last times that Jim Harbaugh has ever been in central Alabama, he didn't even have a shirt on. Uh, that goes all the way back to the Prattville satellite camp days, for those of you who remember that. So Jesse thinks this is a 9.99. He thinks there's no way they're going to finish top 10. I tend to agree, but we did pull up the 247sports.com class calculator, a phenomenal tool. It, I think it's free to use, isn't it, Jesse? Can't you just go on our website and use that calculator? It, it, it's free. So, I mean, you can literally go to 247sports.com right now, go on that calculator and just put together your own class and, and see what it would be rated. Well, we did that with Michigan today. So I told Jesse, don't be disrespectful to Michigan, first off. And secondly, I said, add their top four targets. Just for fun, add their top four targets. Let's pretend they land them all. Where would it put Michigan's class? I have bad news. Jesse's probably right because the class still would not rank top 10 and that's without anybody else adding players. So we're going to probably have to settle for a nice solid top 15 finish here. And in case you haven't been paying attention, it hasn't hurt him so far. So I think they're going to be just fine either way. Next question got really close to home because it basically, it put me on the spot because it tried to predict my own judgment and I can't do that. So I know you guys can't. Appropriately, someone named Josh said the Every Given Saturday Tour will be in Lexington, Kentucky, in Week 12. I gave this a 6 at the time. I don't know what I was thinking. Because there was no shot, as it turns out, that we were going to be in Lexington. Mainly because Kentucky didn't hold up their end of the bargain. They lost multiple games. What was the Every Given Saturday Tour? Obviously, that's, that's the tour. That's the game that we were at every week. We went everywhere from Bama, Texas, to Florida, Tennessee, uh, Tennessee at Georgia. We went to Oregon, we went to UCLA, so we went to a lot of places this year. Imagine, once upon a time, someone told us we were biased. This was an SEC only tour. Nah, a couple of Kansas State, Oregon and two lanes later, that disappeared with haste. So here was that week, the week of Georgia, Kentucky. You had that game, you had TCU Baylor on this day, you had Utah, Oregon, Miami Clemson, and if you think back to the preseason, Those were the two respective favorites to win their divisions. You had USC-UCLA. That's where I ended up going. And you had Oklahoma State-Oklahoma that day. Just in retrospect, there was no way that we were going to be able to be at Kentucky-Georgia unless Kentucky had somehow magically wound up undefeated this week. And they didn't. Obviously dropped multiple games. I did see Kentucky in person this year. It was the Ole Miss game. And they had the ball twice in red zone. Not plus territory. The red zone. Late, down three, and uh, they coughed it up both times. So that was your shot, and uh, they blew it. Is Liam Cohen going to be the OC there? Huh, picked up Graham Mertz in the portal, I heard. Okay, next up, Ohio State. This is from KD. Ohio State has a similar season to last year. They missed the playoff because of defensive issues again, and Ryan Day is on the hot seat next year. (laughs) How close did we come to this happening? Their fate was taken out of their hands. They thought they were out of the playoff. They needed help to get back in. I don't know about the hot seat part. But when KD presented this to us in the preseason, I said this was an eight on the boldness scale because I was pretty sure they were going to the playoff. Uh, Now, I did say if they don't make the playoff, you will have been right. It will be because defense let them down. This is such a tale of two seasons. Like, how do you define a season for Ohio State? Because I want you to listen to this. If you look at the comparisons from 2021 to to this year, they upgraded across the board defensively. I mean, you're seeing it on your screen right now. Like there are healthy upgrades in every single department defensively. But here's the problem. That's weeks one through 11. Week 12, they still allowed Michigan to score 45 on them. So if, if it was all for that did they really upgrade defensively? You know what I just said about Ryan Day and about Ohio State and how they, they gauge and measure success. So if that's the, the way it turned out there, did, did, did their defense kind of let them down again this year? I was in Ryan Day's post-game press conference after the Michigan game. I think I told this story. Someone started to ask about Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator. And they said, Michigan scored a lot on you last year. They had big explosive plays last year. You brought in Jim Knowles to fix that. And like midway through that question, Ryan Day looks down and just starts shaking his head as if to say, yep, yep, you're right. So he feels that way. I think a lot of fans feel that way. 45-23 was the final there. Now, here's the good news. It's all a moot point because they did end up making the playoffs. So the prediction is wrong, but it just feels kind of right still, doesn't it? Bold predictions revisited. Treacherous, treacherous ground. If you guys are tuned in live, a lot of you are, I really appreciate it. Uh, Do me one quick favor. You know what it is. Click the thumbs up button and subscribe if you haven't already. Really good numbers. I appreciate it, guys. Really good numbers. All right, we got a couple of questions here that I want to hit, and uh, then we'll be on our merry way tonight or tomorrow morning if you're listening on pod. Uh, I hope no relation to Ryan Day here. Kate Day hit us up and she said, do you think there will be changes to bowl season with how opt-outs are changing everything? I get this question all the time. I think everyone who's a college football fan is wondering what's gonna happen to bowl season. For a long time, I held on. You know I did. All of you are witnesses. You know I held on. And even when everyone else started saying meaningless bowl game, I I considered that profanity. Like that deserves a TVMA label if you use that phrase. And so I, I've held on. And look, I didn't really care that guys were opting out because you're still putting a game in front of me, so that's great. But man, I don't know what it is about this year. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, for some reason, this, this particular cycle, I've felt it. I have felt what some of you have told me you've felt for a little while now. And that is the, the deteriorating significance or impact or value of bowl season, now I'm still going to watch. So I'll still be there. I am the most P1 college football viewer imaginable. I'm the most diehard. I'll be the last to leave. But I do feel it. And the thing about it is, you can't rely on me. Like networks, advertisers, they can't rely on everything being okay as long as people like me and you are at the table because we'll be the last to leave. But, but the more casual fan that can take it or leave it, you know what they're saying about bowl season. They've been saying it for a while. You know how they feel. In some ways, I think you and I have started to feel this way and looked at bowl season and said, all I see every day when I, when I check my, my favorite team's website or I check Twitter or Instagram is another player's opting out. And these, especially the higher you go on the ladder, these aren't even the same teams that I watched in the regular season. So I say all that to say, Kate, to answer your question, something's got to be done. Because I think there's too much money on the line. These are television products first and foremost, and there's a lot of money to be made on these things, and there's too much on the line to just let bowl season deteriorate into, into nothingness. They can't allow that to happen. So what's the alternative? The alternative is, well, a couple of things you could try. I've told you, for example, that I think tying... Revenue share from the, bowl in, fr- from the bowl revenue packages onto a game, pending you participate in the game, would be one way to do it. Uh, it's it's, it's going to make you feel like you need to take a shower when I tell you what it comes down to, but it all comes down to money. I wasn't for the direction that the sport was taken, but it's been taken this way. You can't look at guys and say, hey, you're free to go profit off of yourself, but then also tell them, however, However, we do want you to still honor the pure spirit of competition and forget about money and and putting your own career at stake for what we self-ascribe as exhibition games. We still want you to do that. You can't do that. That's that's a classic toothpaste out of the tube situation. You can't do that. So there's got to be skin in the game, or else you're going to have what you're already having. Now, there is truthfully nothing you can do to prevent first-round caliber talent from opting out of bowl games. I don't believe that's possible at this point. So what are we talking about? We're talking about maybe fringe guys trying to get them to participate. You can either put skin in the game and have money on the line, or you can do things that are a lot more radical. I was talking to someone the other day I guess you would call them an administrator, and they were you know they weren't talking about anything formal, but they were telling me about some of the ideas folks behind the scenes have had to) um, salvage bowl season. And there's some pretty radical concepts. And one of them that I thought was interesting, that I've added a couple of couple of little caveats myself onto, is when you expand the playoff, you will fill more inventory in December and January. So, you know, if if you were to just snap your fingers and do away with all non-playoff bowl games right now, you'd be left with three games. Well, you're not going to do that. So if you did though, And you expand to the playoff, which we're doing in a couple of years, whether we like it or not, you you at least have more inventory and it's spread out over December and January. What a proposal that's been floated around would include is taking what would be your bowl game. Like Kentucky is supposed to play Iowa, I think, in the bowl game. You would just take that game, you would play it, but it would be your week one game the following year. So that's how you would start your season. And it would obviously create a a full-on spectacle for what week one of college football is, you'd still get your matchup. You would still you know, present it the way, I guess, that a bowl game would be presented in terms of the advertising and the branding. Um, I guess one of the trade-offs there that I didn't think about is you'd need it in a neutral venue, which I'm not a fan of ever in the regular season. But anyway, if you're making a change, that's one change that has been just thrown around. I'm not saying that's, that's ready for any vote or anybody has moved, to uh, put it to a vote or anything like that. Obviously, what happens if you didn't make a bowl? Do you just play someone else who didn't make a bowl? If you made the playoff, do you start the next season playing another playoff team? Uh, that is about as close as you would get in college football, by the way, to handling a scheduling format based on how successful you had been the year before, which is what the NFL does. So I don't know. I also know that financial incentives not going away. So I think that there are changes coming to bowl season. Truthfully, I have no skill of knowledge in knowing which direction they're going to take it, but I just don't think, I think it would be very foolish at this point for even the most romantic person about this sport to think, oh, they'll come back. Just, just for love of the game, just, just for the spirit of competition, they'll come back. Can't you, you let that train leave the station and it's way down the tracks now. And those tracks are tilted and they're not tilted towards you. Next up, kind of a uh, kind of a similar question here. Matthew asked from Herndon, Virginia, how unstable is the current transfer portal long term? How long until things go too far and rules need to be made, Commissioner? We need you. Well, there are rules, Matthew. No one knows what they are day to day, but there are rules. But rules are, you know. They're only as effective as people's need to follow them, and no one feels like they need to follow the rules right now. I mean, Drake May said he's not going in the transfer portal yesterday. If you don't think that dude has fielded offers before he ever put his name in the transfer portal, you're crazy. So obviously, people are looking at the speed limit sign, laughing at it, and then flying past it at 97 miles an hour. I got many thoughts on this, but I will try and condense it down as as best I can. It probably comes down to several camps you could be in as to whether you think the NIL is good or bad or maybe you're indifferent on it. I think most people understand what we're looking at right now is unsustainable. I want you to listen to this, okay? Now, now before I say anything else, I wrote down here. I wrote down the word listen and I circled the word listen. I want you to hear what I do say, and I don't want you to hear what I don't say. What I am not saying at all, ever, at any point, period, in this segment or any segment is we need to take away guys' ability to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Not being said, listen, listen. So, listen to this stat. How about this? This is per the NCAA. Only 54% of football players who entered the portal last year, enrolled at a new NCAA program. Now you may think like I did, oh, that probably means a huge chunk of them just just pulled their name out of the portal, right? They withdrew their name, they went right back to where they were. Only 4% withdrew. 54% entered the portal and landed at another NCAA institution. 4% withdrew their name and just landed back at their same institution. I ran the numbers. That's 58% of players who entered the portal that we can account for. Does anyone want to tell me where the other 42% went? That's a Netflix mystery series. 42% of players who entered the transfer portal did not withdraw and did not wind up at another NCAA member institution. That is wild. There are players making horrific decisions life-altering decisions. You're talking about not four-year decisions, 40-year, horrific decisions based on bad guidance, in some cases, no guidance. So look, I'm not saying take away the freedom to do it. I'm not saying it. I'd love to have more education on this thing. But here's the other part. If you're yelling at me, oh, you say this is unsustainable. Well, you can't be taking away players' rights. I'm not taking away any players' rights. I'm suggesting let them keep the right to transfer. Let them keep the right to profit off their name, image, and likeness. I want to remove the allure of the transfer portal. This is where conferences have to come in. No head coach can talk sense into a guy who is who is hell bent on leaving because he thinks he can get a better deal somewhere else, and he thinks the grass is greener, and he doesn't understand that green grass is above a septic tank. They can't see it. They shouldn't be able to. You couldn't when you were 19. Why in the world should they be any different? How about someone? Perhaps an adult in the room at the conference and league office take it upon themselves to get in one of those big boardrooms and put together incentive packages that remove the allure of the transfer portal. Keep it there. You're free to use it if you want to. I don't want it to be tempting or nearly as tempting as it is right now. Here's why it's tempting right now. Because if I'm a college football player, the average college football player comes from a lower income to at best middle income background. Probably skewing more towards the lower income background. And $15,000 means everything to them, just like it meant everything to me when I was their age. And right now, $15,000 is worth its weight in gold. Conferences have to step up. The media rights deals alone that those conferences are entering into are worth billions of dollars. I am a believer that if a conference got into the NIL game, the Big Ten or the SEC, whoever, if they Entered themselves into the NIL game and said, Pete, Tim, Johnny, just for the fact that you play at Missouri or Purdue or South Carolina or Florida, you are making fill in the blank. I don't care what the put 40 grand a year on the table for them. That's a big number, isn't it? Tell me every one of those players on scholarship making 40 grand? Josh, do you know how much money that is? It's $3.4 million a year. That's exactly how much it is. I want to ask you a question, sir or ma'am. Do you know how much member institutions are about to stand to profit, especially in the two aforementioned conferences, off of these new media rights deals? Because some estimates push it over a hundred million dollars a year. Why? Just because you got an SEC sticker or a Big Ten sticker on your helmet. So, by the way I see it, you can either continue to watch complete and utter chaos and watch huge chunks of rosters turn over and watch of kids enter the portal never to be heard or seen from again, or you can have some common sense about yourself, understand that you've identified the problem, the solution's in the mirror, you just have to come off your hip pocket a little bit, which would account to maybe a dent in your wallet at the sake of saving the sanctity and integrity of your product. And I look at it and I say, how is this not common sense? If you're spending that much money Listen, if I were a network executive, I'd be the one on the phone with Greg Sankey or Kevin Warren saying, you think we're paying you this kind of money so that your product can be in shambles, so that those rosters can be in shambles, so pretty good coaches are deterred from even participating in it? We're not doing that. Get a hold of your product. Get your houses in order. And if it takes $3.44 million a year being allocated to funding your own players, You don't have to call them employees. Certainly we can find legal types to wiggle our way out of that. But here's what you get in return for that. If you're willing to put that kind of coin on the table, players are willing to stick around. Players are willing to stay. And here's what you could really do. What you could really do is tier it. And you could could ascribe tenure to being part of the incentive package. In other words, if I know I'm making 15 grand as a freshman, 25 grand as a sophomore, 35 grand as a junior and I get a 60 grand payoff if I complete 4 years of eligibility at one program. Then imagine how deincentivized I am to look at the transfer portal every 5 minutes. I know it sounds simple, I know it's not that simple. I also know another thing. When there has been a problem that is existential in nature presented to this sport, they've gotten the job done. When they needed to schedule games in the COVID year, they got it done week of When they saw how much money that playoff would make them, they didn't take no for an answer. So listen to your coaches for a change. Like, listen to the boots on the ground for a change. When they're telling you that the current structure of college football is unsustainable, they're right. You don't live it every day. They do. They're right. Please listen to them and do something about it. That would be how I stabilized the point. Over an hour show tonight, and quite frankly, I didn't think we were going that long. Okay, I appreciate you guys for watching. Make sure you like this thing the way out, and make sure you're subscribed everywhere you can. We will be back here same time Sunday night. Until then, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, and our entire team here, I'm Josh Payton. Thanks for watching. Take care, and God bless.